Welcome to episode number 40 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by the friendly neighborhood store, Jackson Hole Marketplace. Your stop south of town for made-from-scratch food. Please visit thejacksonholeconnection.com slash jhm for more details. Hi, I'm Stephan Abrams, your host for the Jackson Hole Connection. I believe if you desire a truly fulfilling life, both personally and professionally, then you must be willing to find a connection with people outside of your everyday circle of influence, which is why I created the Jackson Hole Connection podcast. Today's guest is seen by many in the community of Jackson Hole as a hero. She views herself as taking action in an area where action is needed. You and I will hear from Elizabeth Trefanis, who is a public defender in Wyoming and practices immigration law here in Jackson Hole. Elizabeth will take you and I on a spectacular journey from her perspective as an attorney. We will also hear about when some of her clients are at their lowest, most desperate place in their lives. Optimism seems to shine through. Elizabeth, thank you for coming and joining me today here at the Jackson Hole Connection Worldwide Headquarters. Love it. It's awesome to have the opportunity to speak with somebody such as yourself who has um, such an enormous impact on our community and our state. Thank you. In the pre-show, we were talking a little bit. You have been practicing law on your own for 15 years now? Correct. Okay. Yes. And how long have you been here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming? That same amount of time. May 5th, 2005 was the first day I walked into the public defender's office. So you moved here as a public defender. Correct. I had one semester left of law school to do, and I got brilliant advice from a career advisor who said, you don't know anything about Jackson or Wyoming. You should do your last semester interning there and getting to know the people. Um, and that connection at the public defender's office has uh, been the the largest, strongest connection I think I've had to the community. At least that's where, where it started. And so why did they recommend to do your uh, last semester here versus so many other places to choose from? Sure. Uh, the counselor, who I thought was very wise, who didn't know much about Jackson either, uh, recognized that it was in a part of town that was uh, not very populated. Um, it was more rural and figured that having connections was going to be very key to being able to put a shingle up here and actually lay down roots here. So, and I think she's absolutely right. People want to come into Jackson all the time, um, but staying here is really difficult if you don't have that, that rootedness. And it was just her hunch, and I agreed, and she was absolutely correct. And where did you go to law school that this insightful professor? So I went to law school at California Western School of Law in San Diego, downtown, okay. which was a complete fluke that I went there or went to law school because I was working at Torrey Pines uh, in the Science Triangle as a geneticist. And I actually was not interested in the lab anymore. I was working towards my PhD. And uh, Petri dishes at 3 in the morning got really boring. Um, I liked conceptually what I was doing, but not the day-to-day of what I was doing. I lived downtown in the gas lamp area, and the law school was downtown. And I thought, well, maybe that would be interesting. So I promised myself I would apply if I got a certain score on the LSAT. I got that certain score, so I applied, and I did law school on my lunch breaks. I stayed at the lab until the lab actually closed down about my second year of law school, end of my second year. And I was going to be a patent attorney. That was what I thought. That would be the natural sort of marriage of those two things. Um, Didn't take criminal law, actually, beyond the requisites. I didn't take trial law classes. 
And I didn't take immigration law classes. I did patent law classes. And I've never used that. <laughs> so, <laughs> and here I am doing something totally different. So I like, you know, I work with young people a lot. And I think there's this sort of big fake out that you're supposed to know what you want to do, that you're supposed to somehow decide that. I don't really think that exists. I don't think any of us can really envision how we're going to do something. We can envision the why we want to do something. And that can really spur us on. But for me, I always like to tell uh, younger students, you don't know what you want to do. You just have to go do and what you want to do will start unfolding in front of you. And that's how it's always been for me. Wow. What a, a phenomenal <laughs> beginning. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> working in, in a lab mm-hmm. with Petri dishes, right. working on your PhD to saying, I'll give this a try. Why not? And now you're a defense attorney right. here in Teton County. And Jackson Hole, Wyoming. But also you were saying earlier that you also represent people in Sublette County. Right. So in the whole state, there are about 54 public defenders. And anytime someone is arrested um, who might be subject to jail, they're entitled to have counsel. So we get appointed all the time. I believe the statistic last year was that of all the criminal cases, when that defendant had representation... 98% 98% of those cases were assigned to the public defender's office. So we carry, I think it was close to 15,000 caseload for the 54 of us. 54 people carrying mm-hmm. 15,000 cases. Um, and so, for example, if 12 people get arrested in Jackson for the same sort of drug conspiracy or whatever happened, that means that I can take one of those cases, and then 11 public defenders from other counties will start driving here to take the other 11. So we have sort of our field office here, but I can be anywhere in the state, depending on what the conflict cases, where they came from, which has been wonderful. Our state is amazing. It's so beautiful. And I get to listen to podcasts. So (laughs) I get to catch up a lot. Um, But it is just last week, I drove all the way to Evanston to just say not guilty, please set for trial. Drove all the way there and the client no-showed and drove all the way back. So we get some windshield time. And, and give folks an idea of how long it takes to get to Evanston. Four and a half hours. And that's one, one way. One way mm-hmm. when there's not a snowstorm. Correct. Yes. Correct. So, yeah, I, we spend some time thinking our thoughts and planning our opening arguments while we drive. Well, thank you for what you do, not just for this county oh, and our community, but for the state as a whole. Holy bananas. It's, it's a privilege. We learn... I mean, if you want to be in trial court and you want lots of trial time, join the public defender's office. You'll be there right away. On the other side, if you want to you know, defend deportations, we've got plenty of that going on as well on the private side of my practice. And so tell us a little bit, what is the private side of your, your practice? So the private side of the practice is Trafonis Law. Um, there are three attorneys there, me, Andrew Hardenbrook, and Caroline Baker-Donza. Um, and we have a support staff of two people presently. And we, we can't specialize. You can't say that you specialize in Wyoming. It's okay. sort of against the rules. So we have an emphasis mm-hmm. <laughs> on uh, immigration cases. We do both affirmative cases, which means we try to get people their paperwork before they have any run-ins with immigration, um, get them here stable, secure, safe, get their paperwork and get them on a path to citizenship. And then we also defend deportations, um, which we do have quite a lot of lately. Well, thank you for being the voice for 
people who are in this community that need representation because part of being here in America is we're all entitled. That's mm -hmm. part about being in America, whether you're a citizen or not, you're still entitled to proper representation. Right. And I think that gets muddied at times. We go, um, the lawyers volunteer to go talk with the fifth graders once a year. Oh, fun. And my favorite question to ask fifth graders is, you know, how many of you have read the Constitution? Some of them have, some of them haven't, just like adults. Some of us have never read it, I suppose. But my question to the kiddos is usually, how many of you believe that this applies to you or applies to your parents? Does it apply to everybody? And without fail, the class will tell me that it only applies to citizens. So in our schools, roughly then a third of those kiddos sitting there will say it does not apply to them. And then having that discussion about why it does. Um, it's always very fun to sort of watch their face change to realize that, that they're protected as well. And they, it always fasc fascinates me to, well, I guess it's a little bit sad that they wouldn't think that, that they wouldn't feel included in that. How do you feel that people who are in this country could have a better understanding of what their rights are as a person in the country? Um, well, just yesterday on our Facebook site, we posted uh, uh, posters in English and in Spanish on what basic rights are, especially in dealing with immigration customs enforcement. Um, and I really like the ACLU puts out these cartoons. It's called Know Your Rights. And they're very well done. They're very elegant. If you just Google search ACLU, Know Your Rights, their cartoons will pop up. There's six of them. And they're in, I believe, 18 different languages now. Um, they're really a great place to start. And I, we encourage people to you know sit down with their kids, sit down in their classrooms with their employees, go through the cartoons, um, and practice them. Because often when you need your rights, or you need to stand up for yourself or assert your rights. You haven't practiced it before. You're probably being caught a little bit off guard. Um, but having practiced what you're going to say and how you're going to say it can be really helpful when you need to muster that courage. What makes the legal system in the United States different from the legal system? And I'm going to put words in your mouth <laughs> better than right. other countries. Well, in our legal system, it's an adversarial system. So the judge is sitting there listening to two sides. And both sides, if they're doing their job, are going to point out every little thing that the judge should consider in coming to a decision. And I think that's really unique. In other legal systems, you don't have an adversarial system. You have more of a unified system. Um, and you're trying maybe more to find the truth of something. Um, I think the adversarial system, when you're trying to discover the nitty-gritty or the not-so-great pieces and you're actually fighting about it, I think when you come to a decision, when the judge finally makes a decision, I think it's a much stronger decision because someone sat there and pointed out all the negatives of why they should decide differently. It's a little bit different philosophically than to say, I'm going to give you all the reasons why you should tell me yes, as opposed to me presenting to you all the reasons why you should say no, but you still come to a yes decision. Um, I like to say with juries, I don't know if the system's the best one necessarily. I really do believe in it, but I do know that the system works its best when each party is doing their best. The system only works if the prosecutor really shows the jury everything, and it only works if I really pick at everything. And then 
the jury should have everything in front of them and should be able to make a true decision. But that only works if I really go after it and if everybody, every piece is doing their job. Mm -hmm. And it only works if the jury does their job and really holds the prosecutor's feet to the fire about their burden of proof and really listens to what I say and questions it. And then if they come to a decision that they never question in the middle of the night, then that's as close to it working as I think it can. Fascinating. I had a juror on a really big case a couple years ago because it's a small town. You run into people after the fact. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, I never wondered for a second if I made the right decision. Now, he had ruled against me. His decision wasn't for my client. They found him guilty. But that was really one of the largest compliments I could get. And when a judge says that, too, I think um, my supervising attorney was Greg Blankensop. And, you know, one of the things he told me that I thought was really helpful was a judge is not there to tell the attorneys what should happen or what should what the decision should be. We're there to help the judge make the right decision. We're supposed to be helping them come to what justice is. And I think we do the same thing for juries. But. Sorry, that got a little tangential. You'll have to edit that part out. Maybe. No, <laughs> we, we might Sorry. just keep. We might just. What even, was I saying? We might even just keep all of this in there, in in the episode because this is what is conversation is all about. Right. This is what sitting down and visiting and, and being able to talk to people. Waiting philosophical. Well, right. Sometimes we do get philosophical, but sure. that's how we. I think all learn different opinions and viewpoints and can respect different opinions and, and viewpoints. Right. I mean, I think it, we get asked the question, on the public defender side, we get asked all the time, how do you work for those people? And that's really easy. Number one, we're all pretty much the same. I mean, the number of minute shifts that could happen between me sitting in the lawyer's chair versus the defendant's chair, I think that's true for all of us. And we too often forget that the people on the inmate list this morning could be us. It's just small changes and decisions, perhaps, or how you started in life but that how do you work for that person my role is not to you know get someone off on a technicality my role is to make sure we're doing it right to make sure that if someone is going to prison and being put in a cage or being deported um, and maybe harmed when they're deported that that decision was made following the rules we say we have these rules we should follow the rules um, and we'll throw everything at it possible for the decision maker to consider so hopefully it's done the way it's supposed to be. When you're working with your clients, who do you think learns more? Me. Always. I well, mean. Why? Well, I'd like to think that I say something very inspiring or wise to people that are trying to chart their course. Humans are so fascinating. And the thing I find interesting about all of our clients and just humans in general is how universal our feelings really are, how we my immigrant clients, how universal their thoughts are about family and work and goodness and their lives, and my criminal defendants, how universal their feelings are about doing better, changing, evolving. The greatest, when you're sitting with someone in jail, it's one of the greatest conversations at times because in the jail, they're probably at their lowest, but they're also at their most optimistic. Undoubtedly, they'll sit there and tell you about how they're going to make it all better, how they're going to change everything. And I find that so amazing because I think there's a lot of people who maybe have never gotten that low, who can't envision maybe doing it better. They're not inspired in that way. And I also think when you're talking with folks, 
Um, one thing I find fascinating is just how much shame humans carry that we don't discuss. That is always so strange to me because it's one of the most universal human feelings that we all have, and we universally hide it all the time. But for my clients on both sides, whether it's immigration or defense, you know, I'm sitting with them in this very raw and difficult moment and those conversations behind closed doors come out and it's so funny to me I wish that they could sometimes hear each other because they echo the same concerns the same optimism the same sadness and then yet walk out of there somehow feeling humans tend to just stay isolated though especially when it comes to anything shameful even though the same concept just got talked about five other times mm-hmm. with the five other clients before they said the same thing it really fascinates me do you feel that when people when you're speaking to somebody in jail or about a case that they're at one of their most vulnerable moments i think so and it's a really interesting one-sided conversation right they will be vulnerable with me and they'll tell me lots of confidential things and important things um, and i don't have to share anything about myself then that's a very interesting relationship. Um, Sometimes it's funny when my clients maybe see me in a yoga class or see me with my family and they forget that, oh yeah, because they divulge their whole side of things and that the relationship is not a conversation of what, you know, is going on in my life. Um, So how do you build trust with someone when there's not the two way of sharing of information? I think you just listen. Most people just, Well, two things. Listen, give them the space to listen, and then do what you say. So if you say, I'm going to file this, or I will say that, or this is how your case is going to go, then you need to deliver on that. And so you might not start in a trusted relationship. They might not, in the beginning, trust you, especially as a public defender. Most people have a pretty bad opinion of what public defenders are. and then gradually as you deliver, you listen to them, you deliver on what you say you're going to do, and then that permeates from there. One of my favorite moments is when at sentencing, you know, I might have talked to the client three months ago, and they gave me a bunch of information, and I put it in my notes, and then maybe we didn't get a chance to talk during that three months, but then we get to a hearing, and the judge says, you know, Trefonis, tell me about your client, and I can tell all those little details about where they work, who they are, what they love, what their dream job is, And then the judge will eventually ask the client, is there anything you want to say? One of my favorite moments is when the client looks at you and says, no, I think she she covered it. That's a very satisfying moment. I'll be right back with Elizabeth after this quick word from one of our sponsors. You know, Jackson Hole Marketplace creates made-from-scratch breakfast and lunch items every weekday. That's right. Chef Nettie prepares from scratch each weekday food to tantalize your taste buds. Jackson Hole Marketplace is easy to find, only a five-minute drive south of town. Don't have time to hop in your car? Jackson Hole Marketplace has you covered. They offer free delivery within the valley. Visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash jhm for more details. You were mentioning in the pre-show that you had a client and how much you learned from them and how brave that client was. Tell us a little bit about what you had to tell a client Mm -hmm. and how you saw that that person was brave and what you learned from them. You're going to make me cry. 
Um, <laughs> I'm not Barbara Walters here. No, Please no, I don't. know. Um, <laughs> no one can see me crying, so I'll just try to keep it silent. Um, so I got notice that I had to notify a client that they had 24 hours to decide if they were going to stay in the country unlawfully or if they were going to leave the country permanently. And they had almost 24 hours to the minute to decide that. So I get this in the mail and I open it and it was like a, it's like I had received, I don't know, a bomb or something with biohazard or something on it. I remember taking the piece of paper out and very quickly, you know, throwing it on the desk and wishing I hadn't seen it. And I tried to ignore it for a few minutes. You know, I went to the restroom or I went to get a cup of tea because I was just genuinely hoping I hadn't read what I read. And then it dawned on me that every moment I was sort of processing this negative information was every moment I was keeping the client from getting this ability to try to make a decision. And when I picked up the phone, I was, I was upset and I was angry about having to deliver this information. Um, I was angry about the decision of our, basically our government who had, you know, was telling him this. So at any rate, I called the client and I was really expecting anger, frustration, fear, tears. And the client listened and then we got a family member that was really important to him on the phone. And the response was, I'm going to leave the country, I'm going to pack up my life and get on a plane and I'm going to do the right thing in the hopes that I can continue to do the right thing in the future and come back to my home here. And he was very positive about it and so brave. He said, well, there must be a reason why I need to go for right now. And I'm sure I'll find that. And I don't know if I could do the same thing. And and that's somebody who, it's not as though that they were here for a few moments or a few years. Mm -hmm. They were here for over a decade. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, their life was here. And for him to say, there must be a reason I need to leave, and I'll find that reason. Mm -hmm. I think we can all learn from that in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And I, I appreciate you sharing that story. I know it's tough mm -hmm. to share that story, but I, I know I'm going to reflect on that statement. His, my response was to be so angry, and his was to be so very accepting and I, yeah, I can think, in talking about it, I can think, I just, when I got off the phone, I was just blown away. Powerful for such a young person. Mm -hmm. Shows that power and insight and strength that we have doesn't necessarily come with age. Right, right. I think a lot of it can come with reflection when we give ourselves the appropriate space and time to reflect. Mm -hmm. And... Agreed. um. And I think that leads into a blog that we were discussing of a mutual friend, uh, Six Minutes Daily by Sandy Hessler. Yes. That blog has been wonderful. Um, as I actually just this morning, we got another one through the email from Sandy, and I emailed her back. Something is so serendipitous about her blog. Mm -hmm. And I, just receiving it this morning was really helpful. I haven't had a moment to read it today's yet mm -hmm. but i will because i always make that a a must do right is to read her her thoughts because um serendipitous excuse my mispronunciation of the word but her 
podcast episode was the one just before yours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so you're just after Sandy. So for the regular listeners, they've already heard about this. But for the new listeners, now they can go back one episode and listen to Sandy's uh, episode and learn more about her her blog and who she is. And I look forward to hearing that one. Yeah, it's, it's going to be spectacular. I tell you, this, the things that you learn from your your clients are just so in, so amazing to me and and I think it shows that we can learn so much from other people mm -hmm. I yeah I, in sitting with clients whether they're dealing with a deportation or they're or whether they just got their green card we handed them their paperwork or whether they're dealing with addiction issues or you know a crime that they would wish they could take back um, the opportunity to reflect and hear them is is just amazing. I'll tell you one group that I learn an amazing amount from all the time is our Teton County Drug Court Program. And it's actually, May is uh, Treatment Court Awareness Month. Um, <laughs> so I'll put in a little plug for it. The Teton County Treatment Court that's here um, serves a population of folks that are dealing with addiction issues that probably but for their addiction would not have any criminal history. And it's an alternative to putting people in cages while attempting to keep the community very safe. It lessens costs and it is shown to reduce recidivism because it's addressing the addiction issue as a human issue, not as a criminal issue. And just about every Wednesday, treatment court occurs and it's open to the public if anybody wanted to go watch it. And the participants have to come up and tell the judge how their week was, how they're doing. And it's so impressive to me the amount of lessons that they teach our drug court team and our panel, just listening to their stories and their journey. It's about an 18 month long program. And that's one that comes to mind where I just learned a tremendous amount about being a good human and really how that saying you're a good human is really very um, redundant. You carry a big burden. How do you separate your personal life from your professional <laughs> life. <laughs> I <don't>. um, <laughs> well, I don't do a very good job of that. My husband would tell you that. My friend Robin has a saying that if you live in Jackson and you're having a hard day, all you need to do is look up. Then I think that's true. So just driving home and looking around. I mean, I think our natural environment here really helps to try to leave work at work. I'd be lying if I said I really left it at work. I pretty much am thinking about it all the time. Or working out cases. I know I, I joke that at like the gym, if I'm at a spin class or something, I really am working on opening arguments in my head while we're while we're spinning. That's just how it, it goes. But I think our natural environment here, getting out and playing, that's why we're all here. It's why we all want to stay here. Um, it's beautiful, hiking and skiing, and I mean we're really lucky. And we just we often forget how lucky we are in this environment. You you carry a lot and. I'm sure that you work many, many hours a week. How, so we live in this beautiful place. Right. What do you do to recharge yourself? Because even though, mm -hmm. like you said, you're in spin class and you're thinking about your opening <laughs> arguments, right. you're still giving yourself the space and the time mm -hmm. to give yourself a recharge. It's just what your mind does. Right. So what are some other th things that you do to try to completely recharge um, I'm a big believer in a routine in the morning, getting up uh, usually three hours before I have to be at the office and making sure that that time is spent at one of our lovely gyms um, or outside with the dogs. 
at least four mornings a week. Um, I will not work at least one day a weekend. And I get pretty adamant about not working at least one day a week. Vacation and happiness. Just little things to be happy. Even in the office, I think we try to make sure there's flowers or essential oils or something that would just make it feel more welcoming um, since we all pretty much live there, it seems like. Um, but to totally recharge, I don't know. I really love what I do. So I don't think I'm trying to escape from it. Have you ever heard of Napoleon Hill? I have not. He wrote uh, The Secret to Success and To Think and Grow Rich. And he wrote it back, I think, in the 30s. And it was a class. He interviewed people like Carnegie and Henry Ford and Vanderbilt and some, some of those old robber barons were industrial people who read, led the Industrial Revolution. And he says that if you feel as though that going to work is a burden, Mm-hmm. then you're not in the right place. Mm-hmm. Because when you really are passionate and love what you do, you're in the right job. You have the right career. And you will give it your all and you will rise to the top. Right. And make a great impact in whatever you're doing. Right. I agree. I don't I don't like going to the immigrant detainee facility to do arguments for asylees. But like's not the right word. Um, I'm inspired to do it. I I'm good at it, and I, I love when you have that, when you get that good decision from a judge or the jury. I love that moment at closing arguments when I'm just going to, that was a mic drop, and I know I nailed it. That doesn't mean I'm not anxious about it or that when a big trial's coming up or a big asylum hearing's happening that I'm not, you know, nervous or even terrified, but hopefully I can use that energy to motivate and spur and make it passionate and and really go after it. Nobody who was comfortable, you know, took it to the next level. We all push ourselves to the next level because we have that a motivation of some sort of discomfort or inspiration to spur us on to the next, the next level. Thank you for doing <laughs> what you do at the level that you do. I, I think from talking to you, you completely change my perspective of what I think of a defense attorney, mm-hmm. especially a public defender, mm-hmm. where for me, in my eyes, it's more what you see on TV or maybe what you hear on the news, and that is not what you're presenting at all. <laughs> right. You are you are the top of professionalism here. Thank you. Thank you. The public defender work, I go back and forth, actually, on a regular basis as to whether or not we should close Drophonis Law. Or I should leave the public defender's office. Having both of those is a lot of work. I think the community needs Trafonis Law. And I, and I love getting the opportunity to hand someone their green card or getting the opportunity to say, you know what, the appeal process is going to take three more years and you're going to live here with your family during that time because I've figured out a way how to get it stuck just enough. And with the public defense work, there's a lot of benefits. You know, I get to see the state, a lot of trial experience. There's a state pension, hopefully, by the time I retire. So there's some <laughs> other benefits. Um, and I really, I really like them both to this day. I mean, it's been 15 years of me not being able to pick which one I'd rather do. I'm going to say but keep inspiring other people to join. We're going to delegate is my word of the year. Yes. <laughs> so more delegation. <laughs> and find somebody else with the same passion that you have right. who wants to make inroads mm-hmm. and help out in the same way. And 
just be there to represent somebody because we all need the representation for what we should have when it comes to the law. Mm-hmm. Because unless we practice it and are, are as knowledgeable as you are or some other professionals, then it's important um, for us to have that representation. Somebody with the great knowledge right. like yourself. Thank you. I mean, we, I joke a lot. Um, I think one of the things people have to do if you want to be in sort of public interest law and representing people in hard cases is you have to have a sense of humor. You really have to find or maybe even a dark sense of humor. You have to find some levity in it all. Um, but I meet some of my best friends in this very strange way. I'm really close with a client who you know, I represented him on a murder case, and he'll be serving 45 years. And that conversation, meeting someone in that capacity is a really, there's an interesting bond, I think, for a shared sense of trauma. And it's a it's different than meeting somebody at the coffee shop when you're meeting someone who is being charged with you know murdering their wife. That's a whole other level of conversation and getting really detailed about what his life is like. Um, and you can't make that up. There's no other substitute for no. that kind of conversation. <laughs> so um, I'd love to write a book about some of the different uh, stories and clients. And my struggle every time I sit down to write about it, I love to write. But the struggle is always their name because I find that in trying to come up with a substitute name to hide their identity, it, it never works. They mm-hmm. are who they are, and their name is integral to it, and I always get stuck on the name. Well, you could always just write it with their name, and before you send it to anybody, redact the names. <laughs> oh, just X's and Y's and yes. see how it goes. Just redact the name and then let your publisher. That's a great idea. Let your publisher put in the names. That's a great idea because yeah. <laughs> I really do get stuck on some of the names. We were just um, talking about an attorney who retired a long time ago, was a chief trial attorney in Wyoming, um, and the chief trial attorneys do – um, capital punishment cases and uh, his name was Wyatt Skaggs and I just thought there is no better public defender chief trial attorney name for Wyoming than Wyatt Skaggs but um, I am actually excited I get to do uh, capital punishment training this August which I'm excited about which sounds really weird to say but <laughs> I'm really looking forward to learning the next level of representing someone who is looking at a capital punishment case and how that works so we'll see well that's your industry right <laughs> i i respect i don't think it sounds weird at all it's it's your industry it's it's an aspect that is important to your industry and kudos to you that you're wanting to continue to learn and be involved in law in another aspect yeah, it's a funny thing another to dimension come home and tell you, your spouse sweetie guess what i get to go learn death cases i'm so excited (laughs) (laughs) looking at me like what uh but at least my family has been well aware of my nature for a long time so they're not surprised (laughs) in the pre-show we talked about two books that you enjoy and you said that you you've listened to one of them many times Mm -hmm. of, of the windshield time that you've had here in the state one is defending the damned and the other one is, you are a badass. Right. What about those <laughs> I like books? The way you said that. <laughs> <laughs> what about those books uh, brought those to the forefront of your mind today? Uh, well, when you asked the question, the first one that came to mind was, you are a badass. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in your question, you sort of uh, al- alluded to it being more of a work-related book. And so Defending the Damned came up. I want to 
I'm forgetting on the the name of the author, and I apologize for that because it's a wonderful book. Um, It's a sad book, but it looks through the first public defender's office in Chicago, and that's really where public defense came from. You know, the right to have a public defender began in the 70s. It's sort of something we've always thought was a part of our constitution and our history, and that's just not true. It's only, you know, 50 years old, a little more than 50 years old. It's the Gideon Gideon v. Wainwright case of the U.S. Supreme Court where it was finally determined that you had the right to appointed counsel if your liberty was at stake. And at any rate, Chicago was the first public defender's offices. And um, this is a story about a public defender from that office defending their clients, who their clients are, what their lives look like. Um, and it, I, when I read it, I wasn't inspired. So, I mean, I'm, it is inspiring, the story, but for me it was more having a sense of solidarity that, you know, I work, I'm the only one in this office on the side of the state, so there's a lot of alone time on how to work cases, and listservs are helpful, but they're not the same thing <laughs> sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to read that book and to realize I was on the right track with what I was doing, how I was processing things, or how I was attempting to work cases, as well as that there were just other people out there that were as wackadoodle as I was <laughs> that wanted to do this work. Um, I, I love really the technical term, wackadoodle. Yeah, wackadoodle. Thank you. Um, it's, I think it's a, a bona fide psychiatric issue. Um, you have to want to be a public defender. I get asked a lot by clients. I find it funny. Clients will ask me if I've been punished, and that's why I'm a public defender. They'll ask if I'm also a real attorney. And I like to respond that, no, I'm just a figment of your imagination right now. Um, asked how long I have to do it for. Um, and it's very, it's an in, it's interesting people's perspectives on what a public defender is. Um, but Defending the Damned was a really inspiring book. And then You Are a Badass is a self-improvement book by Jen Sincero. And she's very funny. And I recommend the audio book because she reads it. Um, And there's something about having the author read their own work that is just a little bit different. And she uses a fair amount of curse words, which I also enjoy. But it's essentially really knowing your why and knowing that your why is your purpose. And basically, you are the only you there is, and you are the only you that ever will be. And that is a really big deal. And uh, I think it inspires me, but it inspires, I hope, the clients I work for a lot of, especially, well, I guess our immigrant population and our public defense clients, they're, they're struggling. And to try to lift them up along the way, you can make me cry again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Whew. Yeah. So that's why I love that book. Um, just gives me a lot of perspective. Would you like to share with us your why? My why? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's lots of whys. Give us one. Why? Wow, I feel stumped all of a sudden. I mean, one of my whys lately for the private practice is in good jobs for my people. I We need more help. We need more attorneys. My why with trying to expand is I like providing a place that's that people want to work at. Um, my why for the public defender's office or my clients, I, I really enjoy watching them achieve a little modicum of happiness. My own personal why? I think my why, to be perfectly honest, um, 
which is never a phrase you should say because you should always be perfectly honest. So I'll say frankly. Um, when I think about writing a book about my clients, the character in the book, the public defender in the book, by the end you learn that the reason why she's doing everything is because she's saving herself. And I think that's my why. Powerful. Maybe a little bit too open. But, no. <laughs> but no. I think what happens is every time I can... I watch a, a client feel a little bit better, do a little bit better than I do too. You can inspire a lot of people <laughs> with those words to help people feel and be a little bit better that you will as well. Right. Because we can learn so much from everyone else. Elizabeth, this has been a phenomenal session with you today. Thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Thank you for your time because your time is very limited and valuable with the impacts that you're making for people in this community and throughout the state. If people listening wanted to reach out to you, how can they contact you? They're welcome to call the office. They need to leave a voicemail. We don't chase down ghost calls. <laughs> um, the phone number for that is area code 307-203-9019. Um, I really love email. Um, hopefully none of the judges are listening to this, but I love email because when I'm in a hearing, I can still respond to the email while I'm sitting there. Uh, so people are welcome to email me, and that's emwt at trifonislaw.com. Spectacular. Thank you. I Thank hope so. It is. <laughs> Thank you, Elizabeth. You keep impacting people's lives the way that you do, and your why will come real. Have a good day. Thank you. I love hearing from you all, my listeners and subscribers. So if you have feedback or suggestions, please send an email to connect at the jacksonholeconnection.com. Please remember, when you're in Jackson Hole, be sure to visit my friends at Jackson Hole Marketplace, just a short drive south of town. And I could not create this podcast without the support of my lovely wife, Laura, my editor, Michael Morey, my musical director, Luke Taylor, and my marketing guru, Tana Hoffman. I sure hope you have enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.